after listening to this, should a shop go out and buy a DTF machine? Yeah, yes and no. Um, <laughs> no, 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 and- no. You got to give us the answer. Hey, Pernosos, welcome back to another episode. We've got a really great one today. Steven, I think you got to give a, a quick summary here. I got super excited. Uh, Bruce texted me. We we're looking at um, the notes and over 700 ongoing online stores sold all of his printing equipment and has gone through nine DTF machines. We'll just leave it at that. Uh, one <laughs> yeah. of the, just a, a really cool story um, from Davis at B graphics, uh, where he's going to talk a lot about doing a lot of manual process at first and then scaling them up, but not being scared of them. And, uh, there's so many good learning lessons and nuggets. And we all know that DTF is one thing I love talking about. So you should enjoy the show. Yeah. Unbelievable journey that he's been on so far real quick. Four incredible sponsors. These people are supporting us. Check them out if you're needing a solution that will be able to uh, uh, help you guys as a shop as well. First up, Easy Way. You know you shouldn't be spending all day cleaning dirty screens. Easy Way's line of environmentally conscious chemicals will get the job done faster, more efficiently, and cost you the fraction of cost per screen. Campus Inc., big Easy Way shop that uses to help clean up dirty screens. And if you value a company that helps you with how-tos, best practices, and questions, Easy Way is there. Give them a go. Bruce, do you need a solution to improve efficiency and reduce costs in your art department? Um, well, if you go to graphicsource.com, aka 1900 Hot Stuff, you're going to find Graphicsource there. And Graphicsource is great because they plug and play with your Printavo. They are literally your art department. And they're fantastic. They wish you a good morning and a good afternoon. And you'll get nice text messages from Nick Wood um, when you're feeling down. Uh, But really, we have three full-time Graphxers at Campus Inc. And they are incredible. Um, They've taken over our entire art department and couldn't recommend them more. Hit them up, graphicsource.com. Mention the Printavo pod. Get 50% off your first vector, sap, or embroidery order. Thanks so much, Graphicsource. We've got Multicraft underscore daddy. If you go to his Instagram, you will see that now he has 926 followers. Um, He was at Printing United. He was showing off all the ton of really cool new stuff there too. So pretty awesome to see a live view what's happening. But also, if you shoot him a DM, he's setting out PMI tape every single week. So that's really cool as well. Um, you can shoot him a message. You'll get that. And if you mention Printavo Pod, you'll get 10% off your first order. That's Multicraft Screen Printing and Digital Supplies for over 50 years. They've been providing the industry with top brands at competitive pricing. Thanks, Multicraft. Dave, we got to get you over a thousand. We got to get you over a thousand. Seventy-four more followers, and you're at a thousand, and you'll do something special. Um, last but not least, Supercolor. Supercolor is the world's best heat transfer, and whether you're printing t-shirts, caps, bags, Supercolor's unique transfer are designed for specific materials. You can decorate on technical fabrics, expensive items with a super simple solution. And the reason I say this is cold weather is coming up. You're going to have some really nice items coming through your shop, and we use Supercolor on North Face. So they're super consistent. You're not going to have a worry about anything. Colors are going to be awesome. Um, experience them for yourself. Use promo code PRINTABO15. Get 15% off your order. Thanks so much, Supercolor. 
All right, let's jump on in. <clears throat> All right, we're live. I've got my uh, I've got my background. I've got my notes set up. Davis, how are you? Doing well. How about yourself? Doing good. What what headset, by the way, is that? That's a, sounds like noise canceling. Looks great. Poly One. Uh, thing's pretty awesome. So Poly One. Use it for a couple of years, and I got a buddy that's a tech guy, and he sets me up with all my stuff. I don't. Uh... <laughs> I I feel like uh, people that have to be in rooms on calls with others really prefer those. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I was at a WeWork the other day and they had a guy literally sat down in an open space with a headset and took a call. And I was like, I mean, it's bold because you normally can't hear anybody else when you're talking out there. And then everybody else gets picked up on your AirPods or whatever. But he was jamming through like this new hire training thing. And then he was jumping on a sales call. So clearly there's better headsets than I remember. Much better than the, my previous one. That's for sure. Um, Bruce and I go through new mics. Yeah. Once every six months, six, I don't know. We, we've upgraded, but we'll see how long it lasts. Is that a personal thing? Like, uh, like I just got to have the next model and clean it up, or is that no, you guys no, really no, just bang them yeah, up? It is, uh, <laughs> it's, it's a boredom thing, is what uh, it is. That's late night texts on Amazon and uh, Bruce saying, "Should I get the iPhone 15?" <laughs> what, what what a marketing genius of a company, right? It's like, I mean, I guess if you enjoy tech stuff, you you watch the Apple conference. They always put out. It's always a kind of a cool spectacle. They make these beautiful videos now. They used to do it, you know, kind of live, but now they make these really cool videos. And you know, afterwards, you're like. Oh my gosh, that looks so cool. Even though my phone from two years ago is just fine, works great, uh, no issues. And uh, yeah, you, you still want to upgrade no matter what. <laughs> I have, have one funny story before we jump into it. Uh, Bruce, I was, do you remember this, Bruce? I uh, was going to the Apple store coincidentally and, and Bruce and I live in Chicago at the time. And so uh, I walk in and all of a sudden I see Bruce on the opposite side of the Apple store, just staring down at the iPhone, the new iPhone, just staring at it. Oh yeah. I could, I could tell he was just like, I was probably fixing a broken screen or something, but I could just tell he was just staring at it. And he was like having a conversation with like, I want it. I should, I get it. I want it. And then I like see him from across the room and I'm like, and he just got a laugh. like, yep, I'm here doing the same thing. <laughs> Financial uh, makes what, no sense, but you just, you like, they make you want uh, it. Anyways, is here to buy it from, yep. from across the store. Yeah. So Davis, you run a shit ton of online stores. Um, and I mean that in, in the like 700 online stores. Uh, we're pushing closer to a thousand. A thousand ink saw stores. But wait, are, are they all open at the same time? They ours never close. Now they're not always as active, but we don't shut them down. So I can pad my numbers there a little bit. So, but you're still supporting seven hundred. You're th like thousands of online stores that are all running at the same time. Correct. And you've transitioned your entire business to direct to film. Not entirely. Uh, our internal business. What we what we control ourselves to decorate. Uh, we have sold all of our screen printing equipment. And uh, we, we've gotten some really good partners out of house that we work well with and we work back and forth together. So we do we still sell a ton of screen printing. We're just not making it in house ourselves. 
there's so much. That's there's an interesting so, decision. There's yeah. so can many we, ways we can go down this. I, I uh, We're going to go down a journey here. <laughs> maybe, maybe first, I'm very curious, what was the shop set up before? And then the thought process of this necessarily isn't working out in-house. Yeah. Uh, so we were a uh, 12 head embroidery machine, one auto, one manual, very, uh, very few um, processes in place. Um, we did it how we did it 15 years after we bought the business, right? And not much had changed as far as growth in the business. We kind of got a little bit better each year, pretty stagnant though, right? And pandemic happened. And boom, we were shut down for three months. Like we we couldn't get into. I was I got in to make masks, but the staff wasn't allowed in because we didn't get the clearance from the state. And I start looking. I'm like, there has to be a different way to make money with the same customers and the same product. And that just became into nights and nights of research. Uh, finding someone in New Zealand who led me to someone in China who <laughs> then after convincing uh, the owner, which is my father, that, hey, we just lost our ass for how many months in a row and I'm going to send $15,000 overseas and see what comes back to us. Um, so while we were doing that, we still had the screen printing production in-house. We still were uh, still we're doing all of the same things that we were doing, but I was testing this on the back end. I was trying to formulate uh, um, patient zero, as I like to call it, uh, because that's what that very first printer was. But it was a – we see these stores. We're opening and closing for two weeks. Uh, we see what's being left on the table because we're getting X amount of calls after the fact that, hey, I want this. And how do we solve that problem? And what can we do to really take our business to the next level? Wow. So when did you buy? So you bought your first ETF machine from China, like no distributor suppliers or anything like that? Nobody. And what? Okay. How many years? First of all, a couple questions. How many years ago was that? That was, it arrived in December of 2020. Wow. And how many more machines have you gotten since then? Like what machine version are you on right now? I don't think as many as you, but <laughs> uh, we're, we're, we're quite up there. Um, I am probably, we're running four printers now and we have gotten our hands on eight or nine. Oh yeah. You're way above. Yeah. You're, you're late. You're, we're only on six. We're good. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, but you're nine from 2020. I think we're six twenty one. Uh, probably a couple of year. Yeah. We're averaging we, about the same. We've retired them too, though. Um, we're, we're running for their shelf life is pretty slim. Um, okay. When you bought your first one, so you gambled a little bit, you bought your first one. You have to train yourself completely. Uh, you're still doing screen printing. You're still doing screen printing. This boat anchor comes delivered at your, you know, uh, how long until you actually like, got something printing? Like, what was that first like two or three months? Like, this is so interesting. There's jokes out there that I'm fluent in Mandarin after this, uh, that process. <laughs> um, this was hours at from midnight to 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time to get on with techs to get it set up. And we were not from a 
DTG group, we didn't have any print head technology. We had it 15 years ago when the T-Jet came out and that was so bad. We sold it and said, we're never going back to print heads again. Um, but it, so it was a learning curve of how these work, a lot of lack of instruction that they have now uh, by buying from local vendors or suppliers, because there was no rules on how to maintain or how to launch all the, all the software was in Chinese. Um, and you only got short answers because they couldn't communicate very well is yes, do that. No, don't do that. There's no why behind it. So as we're learning, uh, it was, it was quite difficult and the consumables were terrible. Uh, versus what we're seeing on the market now. Did, did you ever during the first couple of months regret it? Were you like, oh my God, what did I do? Oh yeah, 100%. That's like uh, when yeah, Bruce bought a heat press, same thing. Yeah, don't spend under $500 on a heat press. No. No, ever. When did you actually, st- when did the light bulb start going off? Like from when you bought the machine to like when you actually had it running to like not losing sleep anymore, like... You know, when, when did the, the point of regret turn over? It was probably about four to six months after we had it. And we were testing, we were running, and we were only doing our own stuff at the time. We weren't printing customers' orders on it. We didn't know what the wash was. We weren't going to put a bad product out there just because we wanted to. Uh, we thought it would work, right? So once we re- thought we had it, and we printed a one of our stores that were open and closed with it. And we saw how fast that we were able to do that without all the screens, all the all the setup issues that um, most shops, big shops probably don't have those. But small shops don't run the most efficiently. Um, when you have a room of four people and no in uh, handheld screen cleaners and tension and a 15-year-old screen. Uh, automatic press, it doesn't leave you in the best case to get the best quality. And we found that this is equally, if not better than what we were screen printing at the time. When we first got our Cobra Flex powderless, patient zero, um, dumpster fire, uh, first day it worked beautifully. Second day, I started texting my friends and Justin's one was like, yo, I got a job for you. Can you print these transfers for me? I, I, I worked on them for like four hours, ripped on. I was like, I'm going to impress Justin. He's going to be blown away. Uh, <laughs> you know, the adhesive didn't actually print. And I shipped him an overnight a tube and he fucked up his one of his customers' jobs uh, the following day. Um, <laughs> so that was my, uh, oh, you are never printing for anyone else again. Are you guys still friends? Uh, uh most of the time. Yeah, I think so. I think, uh, I think he forgave me for it, but, uh, yeah. Uh, the wholesale market is so funny when people buy the machines and then they become wholesalers overnight. I think that's hilarious. We stayed away from it. Actually. Uh, we print our own and I print for my contract decorators, whoever works for me, I'll work for them. Other than that, we don't do transfers, uh, for anyone else. Let's talk about the transition from you buying the first piece of equipment or first few pieces of equipment to now thinking about selling your screen printing. That's a big leap. Um, you know, why? And, and maybe, maybe talk a little bit too about your ideal customer because running a thousand plus stores, like, is that all the business? Is that 80% of the business? And that's why maybe that this tended to work a little bit more or are there still some wholesale stuff or what? 
So the idea to unload the screen printing is, have you guys ever tried to hire someone that knows how to screen print or talk to people that are trying to look for screen printers in the job field? Um, that's a whole skill set that is not easily trained, right? Um, that's, a, that's a whole different level of employee versus hiring someone that is tech savvy and can maintain a printer or is can align a shirt straight on a heat press. So that was part of the decision. Um, I can have someone in here trained in producing in uh, less than two hours on a heat press. Like with a, with the guide we set up, we have them in and they're actually in production. They're not standing around or trying to figure out what they're doing. So that was the, the first point of it. The second point is we were coming to end life on the equipment. It was it was getting old. So we were looking at a what sixty to hundred thousand dollar investment compared uh, based off of what type of equipment you're going to buy just to replace that. Um, and that kind of pushed us the other way. But we couldn't go the other way until we had multiple machines because uh, Stephen knows these things will go down in the blink of an eye. Uh, so you need backups if you're going to rely your production on that. And that's what we work to do. Yeah, we currently have three in operation, one on the shelf getting rebuilt, uh, four dryers, one not working. Um, and one of them is actually brand new. And techs have been on it for the last two months uh, trying it's been since like July. Um, of course, it was our fault because, you know, power is, you know, you didn't put the right power on it. Uh, but uh, yeah, you have to have multiple machines running nonstop. Do you, okay, now let me, let me ask you this. Why didn't you just order transfers? Because early on, well, one, I was ahead of majority of the people that knew about this equipment. I knew how to get my hands on it before people were selling direct-to-film. How? Uh, so there is, uh, Supercolor was crushing the game in 2020 and still crushing the game. Sponsors of the they, pod. They can't keep up like they're there. I was with those guys last week at printing United, but they're loaded with orders. Right. And I'm like, how can I try to achieve something, what they're doing, but with a one basis, right? Because that's not their niche They're They want, they're doing really well with larger orders, uh, thanks to DTF, because that's loading their uh, funnel right now. But how do I do that and do one and one of these and one of those to really change the print-on-demand market? And that's kind of what pointed us that direction. That's pretty crazy. Um, so you, you, you make the decision. You say, all right, time to, time to scrap all this screen print equipment. You know, we're a DTF house now, at least for the stuff we're doing in-house. You, you find someone to, to, to buy the stuff, you sell it. How, did that change any of your internal processes and in, in like how you handle the business and, and the workflows that you had? Oh, 100%. They were all rewritten. Uh, everything we had to do from uh, how the art's created to how it processes out, um, if, we're, if we are sending it to the contractor or if it's funneling back to our printers, um, before it would be marked done when it came out of the dryer. Now we have to complete it in a, a whole different way with the heat pressing. 
the theory was still the same. You're still getting goods in and goods out and decorating them. But the steps to take there, we had to make sure that were, they were the most efficient. The products are being printed on time and we're staging different because everything's in different areas. Um, mm-hmm. We had to relay out our whole shop. Um, we built uh, these these rooms that these printers are in need to be humidity and temperature controlled. Uh, so where the screen room was, was completely torn apart. Um Recarpeted, repainted, uh, humidifiers, dehumidifiers, uh, a special furnace put in for that room. And then the heat press room was uh, the screen print room was literally put in half. And then we built a heat press room. And that room stays 70 degrees year round, too. So now we went from 100 degree summers with the oven and screen printing equipment and flashers to 70 degrees year round, where they are just, uh, it's a much more comfortable workplace. Hmm. What heat press are you using? Uh, we are running a mix of stalls and Chinese heat presses. Gotcha. None of the round, um, like the one Supercolor and East West machines are? Or what do you think? We don't have a whole lot of round, or we don't have any of the round equipment right now, but it's not saying I'm not looking at it. And we also like our larger orders out of house. Uh, we have a sweet spot between like 75 and 100 where we like to send them to a contractor. And that's just to keep the flow moving. Hmm. Um, we have one of the circular ones and we love it. Um, but we don't really sub out too much of that stuff. Um, we, we don't. We, we try to keep it in there. Um, so when you you said something earlier, you said, you know, Supercolor is really like focusing on like bulk transfers, you know. 10, 25, 100, whatever. And you're thinking about like one off. And so really like what you were trying to solve was print on demand, not necessarily heat pressing. Can you talk a little bit about how your business changed to be a print on demand decorator? Because I think that's the thing where people are like, should I get a DTF? And I'm like, do you do POD or do you just heat press? Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Um, So that was, we had the stores. And the idea was, how do you get these stores into a flow that you can print all of whatever orders in all together, right? From store A, B, C, D, and E, they can all come together and it doesn't matter. That's where the struggle really has been, the, 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 the trial and error, um, the organization. And we are using uh, Inksoft to manage that at the moment. That is, uh, um, we're using the core shop software. Uh, with some of our own tweaks to it, the API to communicate out. And we are working, uh, some of it has been our own personal workarounds, like where we've had to manipulate things for how we thought they should be. But using that software, that's really what is driving that right now. Gotcha. So do you still produce in bulk? Like, do you batch your stores once a week? Or is it when one order comes in, you grab one hoodie and one transfer and the two meet? We're batching daily. You're batching daily. So mm-hmm. how do you batch if you have how many active stores you have running right now? Uh, anywhere from like so we said, pr- pretty close to a thousand. Just under gotcha. That. So how are you? How walk us through the hands that make that work? Um, without giving out too much of this, uh, <laughs> of what we're doing internally, we have somebody that may, that does it in core and they, they go by order. And uh, then we have a software that is matching up 
with an internal system, our artwork to our orders, and then we're organizing them with a with a collection system, and meet, marrying them at the uh, at the heat press. So the garments match the prints when they're at the press, and then they go back out to production. This or is a factory. This is a this yeah. Is a mini I'm, factory. I'm, we're literally trying to solve the same thing. So what's really interesting is now, do you stock blanks for every store, or do you no. just order you order them every mm-hmm. day? Wow. So you're basically saying I'm only going to sell what I know I can buy from SNS or Samar or wherever. And when those come in, those are going to, so you're, you're basically doing a bunch of bulk orders every single day, but will those cross between different stores or is it only like each, each batch is a store? No, one batch is every store. Interesting. We run a sim. So we actually store the blanks of every school color that we support. Um, and we batch artwork together and then split it up. But it, it completely, it's not screen printing anymore. It's supply chain and and like fulfillment. And it's completely different. Bruce, you've been in a lot of huge shops that have do, done DTG on demand. How similar is it? Like, I don't know if you've been in Stoked on or Redwall or whatever. Like how similar is it to those flows that you've seen? I mean, it sounds fairly similar. Are you barcoding as well? So the... the no, you're supposed to build us that feature, Bruce. <laughs> Well, the on-demand, so like what I saw, one shop had a a circle of maybe 20 DTG printers, but everything was, so the order comes out, um, packing slip comes out, it's got a barcode on it, that also goes, like every day they grab the stack maybe, you know, every couple hours, they go over to inventory, they were stocking though everything from the vendor and then they would go to the shelf they would scan it pick up all their stuff like they're going around a warehouse bring all of those together with the packing slips kind of dividing them out put them on the table there then that goes to the printer they scan it with the printer the printer knows the artwork it prints the shirt and they gotta pre-treat it first bruce actually that's a good point i wonder if they i think they pre-treated all the shirts before they were all put on the shelves because they were grabbing the shirts and going straight to the... Hmm. They usually go through an oven first to get a spray, like a, a pre-treat. I think it's like Brown runs the machine. It's like a Firefly or something like that. Right, Davis? Did anyone see... Yeah, that's Firefly. Did anyone see Sunfrog? They had a big fire dump, uh, dumpster sale on equipment. Remember <laughs> Sunfrog? Uh, in Michigan? Yeah. Big print-on-demand company. Are they moving all DTF? I don't know what else you move to if you don't, uh, if when you sell all, you sell a whole yeah, same, uh, warehouse same, of equipment. Same with like Kevin, Kevin Oakley at Stoked On. Um, they got rid of all their DTG equipment or moving completely on it. I think the, the problem that we're all trying to face is there is no one solution, right? Like in the DTG world, you know, Brown and Brother have this system where it spits out a barcode and the file is connected to it and it goes through the, the GTX and it prints right away. We're taking machinery that is built in another language and trying to marry it with warehouse management, fulfillment, print on demand, inventory and all that. It's just it's a much different process. Um, how many orders do you think you guys like how many heat presses do you guys have and how many orders do you think you get out a day? Uh, individual orders will range anywhere between 200 and 300. Um, there'll be some slow days where it's in the hundreds. Um, but then there's also peak times where it's higher. Um, the heat press is, is we are probably 15 heat presses, um, eight or nine duels, some lower heat plans, uh, small, 
small location, um, hat, uh, hat presses. Um, and that's, it's just like a whole little army of them. <laughs> we gotta, mm. we, we gotta see this. This is, we need, I need to, we need to get some footage I, on here. Bruce. I remember the one, the one issue that they were having in the DTG on demand fulfillment was, um, multiple items. So one item shipping out was fine, but waiting for another item was like their like math problem to solve. So they had these cubby holes and everything and they'd store it, which, you know, is fine for 10, 20 a day. But when they were doing hundreds, it was like this crazy complex issue of grabbing things and shipping it out. There's a shop. You probably seen them screen printing selector. know of them that I visited as well. That does uh, something similar, but this was years ago. This was 2021. Um, where they were shifting to all demand as well. Davis, I'm curious, like, as you did this, now you have a thousand stores running. Um, You obviously probably have a team that just manages the stores and builds the stores and, you know, all that stuff. Shops looking at what you're doing think you're psycho. (laughs) Absolutely. But but you, and I'm, I'm speaking about this at Print Hustlers, is doing things that don't scale and not being afraid of like the dirty, hard manual work, even if it's so tedious, you'll, you're still willing to do it. Can you talk a little bit about how much manual work is involved to get all of this done? Right. Like from, from store building to skew, like, yeah, walk us through how much, how much of it is automated versus how much is human controlled. The large bit of the front end is very human controlled. Um, the part where we have the designers are all there. There's no AI in that. There's it's, it's someone using, uh, designs we've created and changing out artwork. Um, once the artwork's done, we then take that and get it to our builders with a catalog of items that we pre-select. Um, we have them based off of industry or team and we launch it based on what colors, what color uh, bodies that they want to sell, blacks, grays, whatever. And we have different colorways of that artwork depending on what it's on. So not only do we have just one design, we may have nine, nine iterations of the same piece of artwork um, to make that store really look good. And then it goes to proofing before the store is launched. Uh, then there's ads created for the store. And once it's launched, it is now in our core flow. Um, so that's where that process is manually handled to purchase the blanks and manually to process the orders uh, every day. Yeah, that's Bruce. Do you hear the parallels of uh, like when we launch a school? There's like this initial team lift to get it up in the air, all the creative, get it up, flying it. And then you said something there, Davis, that was interesting is that we make the creative or the ads for them. I think shop mm-hmm. should, should hear that. Um, and then once it's up in the air, it's like a whole different department, right? But do you ever look at the health of a store and is like, man, we're not selling anything? Like, how do you ensure that these stores are actually succeeding, right? Because couldn't you just be spinning your wheels and making a zillion stores? Or is, it, is this point just volume? Like, you don't care. So the there are stores that you can tell when they contact you if one if they're going to sell um $1000 or $2, right? You can kind of tell by how they're requesting and that's that's how you handle your intake or the sales rep needs to kind of ask some questions of who are you selling to, what are you doing to really kind of dig that out. 
Um, if we know it's a small group, cause we're in a really rural area, like you're getting 15 products on a store with one design. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not, we're not putting together the same store that has, uh, for a company that has 600 employees. Gotcha. And the options, uh, they change based on what type of requests they're asking. Do you ever shut down a store if it's not doing well? Absolutely. We'll send a message out, uh, say team X mom sets the store up, right? Kid graduated and we can't get back in contact with who's in charge of team X now. We'll, we'll we'll close it. We're not just going to take up space to, uh, not get any sales out of it. Gotcha. Are you taking wholesale orders or no? Only stores? No. Uh, like you mean like cu- customer order and a hundred sweatshirts? Right. Right. Yeah. But then oh, okay. you, Davis, you sub those all out. I try to. Smart man. You found some white space. Um, you, you've, you found some secret sauce here and you, you're doing something that's really, really difficult. When you look at when you kind of turn this engine on, what was your first year and how many stores you had running versus like your second or third year? Because now you're at like a thousand. But what I, yeah, I'm just curious, like what was that progression in the amount of stores? It went from, so we had stores set up, but they were open and closed before we were in this. Um, so we were using the platform. Uh, we probably had anywhere from a hundred, um, hundred at the beginning, maybe. Okay. Um, but it starts with one. I mean, you have to build your first one. <laughs> and then as we're growing, we're seeing 200 the first year added on, 300 the second year, 400 the, the next year. And you're, you're doing that because, you're, one, you're bringing more people in to build. You're bringing more people in to manage, and you're selling in different markets. And the word is spreading that, hey, they have this service that you can do this, set it up, and crank it out. Uh, the volume now is what is my biggest driver. So if there are channels that can launch into a production platform and we're turning, we're really good at the production, we're really good at the the, the artwork and we can start feeding the fire, um, building the stores is the getting them up, getting them launched and getting the artwork out is kind of the uh, heel. I can add more heat presses. I can add more printers and I can add more staff to produce on the back end. That can scale. It's, it's in place. The front end is where we need to be able to really uh, ink, light the fire underneath of it. So, like, how many customers do you think you touch a year? Yeah, like, what, yeah, the amount of people that get the B graphics experience or get a package from you guys. What does that number look like? I don't have that number for you. I've never actually looked it up. Well, I mean, two hundred orders a day, I guess, just off that, right? Could so, be five to yeah. six thousand. You know, like, I mean. It, easily a month, right? There's 50 to 60,000 people that are having an experience with your company. I think something that you're alluding to is when you run these online stores, like the propeller starts to go faster in motion just because you are touching more people that have experienced your business. You know? Yeah, fair statement. That's for sure. Is there anything you do to help reduce that initial setup of the store? Like, do you charge... For the time that just helps cover it regardless is it you know with the artwork and the back and forth to get those approved um you know colors of the store that kind of stuff yeah so i think you're talking about simplifying right what can you do to reduce the amount of communication back and forth to the customer to get it launched mm-hmm. uh, that is 
best analogy is when you go into a restaurant, do you want to order off of Cheesecake Factory's menu or do you want to order off McDonald's menu? Or which menu do you want to offer to people, right? Hey, you can look through these 100 quarter zips and pick out 40 that you like and we'll put them all on your store. Mm -hmm. Or, hey, here's our top selling corporate items that we're going to offer. That it's in our package A, but if you need to have heavier weight, that's our package B. Which one do you think you need? They answered the question. They get package A. So it's simplifying the process in the sales part, but making it uh, making it easier. Like you still ask them, but they can only choose between one or two. They didn't choose between the whole queue of uh, your SNS, MR, and Alpha catalog. Got it. And then the art, is that pretty standardized with it's, it's like, yes. how do you reduce that part? So we're super excited. We're launching a new website here uh, in the next couple of weeks. And it is, uh, we are presenting artwork for the customer that they can choose two or three designs when they're requesting their store. And we will, well, the first response they get back from us is new art proofs. Um, mm, sticker muley, huh? <laughs> So we're, and then that's, that's a semi-automated transaction, I guess. So like be. how much inbound inquiry, like you never said the words, I just want people to go on my website and design. Is that? No, that's a terrible idea. Okay. I mean, that's a terrible idea for me who needs to manage good artwork. So I, we control it. Here's what's really interesting. Like shops think, oh, if I just build this website with an online design, people will go to it. Instead, you're creating demand, putting this flywheel in motion. Now you're providing cooler features for your customers to alleviate some of those like those bottlenecks. Um, do you get a ton of inbound inquiry or are you guys out hunting for new stores to launch? So we're, we're not very good at marketing uh, exterior. Uh, a lot of our stuff is word of mouth. And that's what we're setting up this site for is to tell a story um, that we can help organizations. Uh, we have a company, uh, a sub company called Rugby, R-U-G-B-E, and it is a uh, it is a spinoff of exactly what we do. We only offer a limited menu, and we only service the rugby niche sports market. We launch stores for rugby teams. Fine, that's sick. And but it's it's the <laughs> same process. It's all run together, but it's a spin, and we only talk like the girl who runs it. Her name is Maddie Miller. She own she plays rugby. She's in the thing. She goes to trade shows. She's in that world. But she communicates and knows that language of that customer and that because she lives in it. And that's huge because now we have a tool that they never had access to, right? That and they, they feel it's specifically designed for them. Yeah, I'm wow. looking at the website. Um, and that way, also to your point, the products are all curated, right? It's like they get it because they're like, oh, okay, perfect. I need this and this and this. And these are the best products. And you supplement. They're not browsing through the the catalog and everything too. Um, Shucks, they want one more piece, right? Okay, we'll add that one hat. You, you, the guy setting it up specifically likes. Yeah, we'll throw a couple more pieces to him if they ask for it. But I think uh, some about your website. It's so simple, so yeah. simple. Call to actions, so simple. Let's get started. B graphics, by the way, if you want to check B E E and then G R A P H I X dot com to check um out. how much of this is you how much of this is some other genius like did you design all of this like wh where's the brainchild behind this uh this was partially me partially the staff um 
uh, my designers. We don't really have a team behind it, and we're working. Uh, it's only got about a month left on this site. Uh, we are we're flipping to a whole new launch um, where technology is working for us. Right now, we have no communication. Everything's manual off the site. Uh, it comes into an email and then gets forwarded to somebody else and no auto replies or anything letting them know we got it. So we're really leveling up the website communication game. Wow. And and I know you've run like, go ahead, Bruce. Well, just adding on the, where you guys build this site and then you mentioned that Steven, you caught him saying that they were building graphics to set you guys up to be successful, like the store owner. Is there anything else you do to help them make them successful? Because one thing I saw that you were doing also was you were doing marketing, for example, on a football preseason sale for, for a special team, right? And that helped ramp up sales. So you are thinking like proactively marketing campaigns like Canvas. Yeah, you guys like a are marketing always, agency. Right. Like you guys are always doing this with like different events or what's going on in uh, you know football world and so on, basketball world. But like... Is there, are, are there other things that you're thinking about to get those stores moving or, or so, that you arm them with? Yeah. So we, we, we have a guide that gets sent to them, how to market, what to say, when to send, when it's important to send it, and then a follow-up email. Again, all manual. Um, now we're working on much more sophisticated, easier communication, uh, to those customers. Hey, it's day three. Send out an, send out an Instagram post today. Um, like here's the image or just email. Just save it. And, uh, we do a ton of community events. What I was, when I, I guess mean by we don't market a whole lot is we're not advertising a ton to set up stores right now. We were, I guess, trying to perfect the process. Yeah. But, but but we do a ton of community stuff, but you are teaching your clients how to market. Yes. So, and, and I think there's there's some value there is like, you know, you built the store. That's step one. Step two, you're providing them resources, because if you provide them marketing resources, whether or not you're using them for yourself in your own business, <laughs> you know, like their their stores are getting stronger. Now you are an ally and a partner to them. Right. They have a seat at the table like they're learning from you. They're probably thankful for all the graphics. Um, you're collecting a lot of customer data. That's really, really solid. Like you're cementing your relationship and you're almost now a marketing agency. That's just merch enabled. You know, do yeah. you ever think of emailing their, so like, let's just say there was a school in, in Fredericksburg, Maryland. Um, right. Uh, is that, yeah. Uh, I'm in Frederick town, Frederick town. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, much smaller. <laughs> um, but, but if you've been running that store, would you ever just email all the clients that have ordered from that store to be like, Hey, we put up new products or we kept them fresh or we did like, do you, do you do any of that communication? So not with every group, but right now is conference champions. Uh, people teams are winning, right? Some of our teams are winning. They're getting relaunched right now. They're getting new products added champions added. They win the playoffs, the local playoffs, champion shirts are at it. We did this last year and we have a success story on our new site, but we ran five launches throughout the football season. And this school, the school football team sold like $15,000 worth of apparel. Uh, and it's not a major size school, but it was just throughout the whole year by adding stuff, doing different things, um, having game of the week shirts, like launch small launches, and some may have sold 20 or 30 pieces. Some may have sold 50 or 80, right? 
but that's a hundred and some shirts that you don't sell throughout the year by having a drop. Whose job is it? To, is there a marketing team or is it the account manager that set up the store is owning it for X time, right? Cause some of them, you said that they stay open. So how does that work? So the account managers own the stores. Uh, that's, that's our sales reps. We have them very niched out. That's Davis, not the how, person how building. How many, no, sorry, go ahead, Steven. how many stores per account manager, just so we can give some scale for listeners. Oh, uh, anywhere we have four. So a about hundred. 200, yeah, a couple hundred. Okay, event. cool. And keep going on that. So they, they're not responsible for building the store. They're nope. responsible for maintaining it. So now what is their sole job? So they will, there's kind of two pieces. One, to make sure we launch every year, to make sure when it's time to, right now, we're making sure every Christmas store that we did last year is back in the queue and updated and we have the contact and we're launching. Um, They're also reaching out for bulk orders from them, same customers. Uh, The same people that need stores need warm-ups, sweatpants, basketball jerseys coming up, right? And they're selling bulk on that. And one of the things we're working on is the communication. Uh, So say you have 200 stores, right? There's a lot of drop-off we've seen where we don't communicate, don't keep up with who's in charge. And we're working on making that better for that, that person in charge of the store to be able to track that information. And that's kind of where there's some technology overlaps uh i guess we'd say in in our world yeah we're trying to do that too we're we're going to start using like we're using hubspot for client relation management just to know how the account is doing um but it's really interesting it there's a lot of wisdom there we talk a lot about sales we have our friend kevin Baumgart on here quite a bit Kevin's um, great guy. do you work with him I, I have worked with him in the past. Yeah. Oh, Kevin's going to hear this and he's going to smile and say, thanks. <laughs> Why did, um, how did Kevin get everywhere all of a sudden? God, Kevin. And you, what you, you didn't come through Kevin either. You came through, uh, Linksoft team. They're like, you got to talk to this guy, Davis. He's doing some cool stuff. Uh, but now you have, so you've split up acquiring new business and maintaining business and then upselling and making the most out of the customers and turning that into recurring revenue. That's like doing, you know, so much more with like so little like that. That's just it's so, so smart. I, I always heard it's easier to sell to an existing customer than to acquire a new one. It just takes more energy. Right. And so you're like maxim- maximizing those. Do they have a sales leader or someone that manages them? Or is that you? That's me in this case. Yes. Gotcha. So at what point, like what is your how do you hold them accountable like, what does that look like? So it's not as super structures as it probably should be, but it's a, we have a meeting in uh, for four times a year about stores, about what season is coming up and what did we do in the past and how do we launch, what, how do we save what we had so they don't go somewhere else? And then it's a list of, hey, time to contact here we go. Get on the email, get on the phone, touch base with these people. Most cases are going to say, yeah, it was a great success last year. Let's get it. Let's make sure it's updated and we're, go, uh, we're going again. Um, if there's no contact, then the store's probably going to come down. But if it is, then we know we're able to sell the other stuff again. Uh, the coaches shirts, the team, the team camp packs, the, uh, uh, the variable data numbered shirts and things like that. 
Are they commissioned, the account managers, to think of this stuff and upsell and maintain? Yes. And- yeah, there's a base plus commission. There are very few people in the industry that are doing this the same way you're doing it. So I have to applaud you, Bruce. I haven't haven't met too many that are doing it this way as at the scale that you're doing it at, you know, in this fashion, like we run it a little bit differently. Um, but the way that you're doing it is very, very interesting. And it is very doable for people that want, you know, like shops can can learn a ton from here. Do you guys do like, okay, next question, like fundraising. How do you manage <laughs> fundraising for 700,000 stores? It is difficult. Uh, it is time consuming and it's manual. And I'm not going to talk about how we do our reporting, but it is, it's a, it's a very long process right now. I really, I want shops to hear how manual it is from you. There is, I'd say one person with a week's worth of work that no interruptions and they are manually every month, every month, one week they are cutting checks and organizing and uh, sending out uh, sending out payments to people. And that's one of the things we're working on to improve. But you're still willing to do it even though it's hell. It's organized hell. It's not hard. It's just not fast. Now, it wasn't easy in the beginning. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but it, well, it's now we have a, a, a procedure to it. That gotcha. we created and uh, some st- some easy button steps that uh, have used a little bit of uh, Excel tech and different things and formulas and uh, to make it less of a burden. When we first started paying athletes, you're like, well, "How do you do this?" It's like one at a time, <laughs> <laughs> right? How else do you figure it out? Yeah. Now there's seven thousand, and now it's a tax problem, right? Uh, but we weren't. <laughs> we were okay. Neil, our, our Neil, our CTO was like uh, and former Printavo engineers. Like we're going to do things that don't scale. It's going to seem like we're psycho and it'll break us. And every time it breaks us, we're going to like iterate on our technology and get it better and better and better. But it's okay if we look like psychos doing it. I'm curious, do you use any like offshore VAs, whether it's art department or anything like that? Right now, everything is, uh, we, I would say we have VAs. Um, but they're America based. Okay. Uh, I, I love retired people. Talk to us more about that. <laughs> uh, people that are at home, they're, they're done working their full-time job, right? But to get, What do you mean, like after hours or like 70-year-old? No, like uh, 60 and up, and they've retired from their job, and they want to build some stores to, uh, from and home. And you train and they, them, and they're more tech, you know, and they, they can do it. Mm-hmm. Not it's that, a, you know... Seven-year-olds can't uh, use a computer, but I'd say my parents are not. Um. Yeah. But anybody that worked on a computer while they were in their job pretty much can build this. So uh, how, how do you platform. find those VAs use a service or something like that? Or, or you know, like how they're not yeah. VAs. Those are people I know. Okay. Those are people I'm, I know that retired friends of my parents, somebody looking for something to do. Uh, we're just because you're in a smaller can, town, too, you said. Very small. So it's probably easier to you guys. So, so I'm hearing a lot of patterns. Uh, one of which I'm hearing is like, there's a low barrier. There's a low learning curve to work at B graphics, right? Yeah. If you can use a computer, I can but teach you to build. But purposely made that. This is the second time you've mentioned it's the that. Second time, with the yeah. equipment, you know, getting people started. And now on this side, on the building. Training procedures, videos, and scribe. 
Dude, are you just a procedure? That may be crazy. That that's an interesting thesis, right? Like, can I get this so that you know a seven-year-old lower, maybe tech understanding, can be able to easily do this? Okay, and then hey, Chat GPT, rewrite this in much slower terms so somebody that doesn't understand technology can get it. Like, I question <laughs> myself all the time with that. Um, and I may be spewing all kinds of different information. Then I'm like, wait, somebody doesn't have a clue. I should probably slow this down for. Um, if anyone, you, I, I'm just hearing it. Like anyone can heat press, anyone can build a store. I'll figure out the stuff in between. What's your footprint like now of how many employees you have? Um, if, if you're willing to say. Yeah, we have, uh, 23 full-time and wow. two part-time. Wow. Wow. And you're still solving problems every day. You kind of talked about some of those. Can you share any of your, maybe if, if you if you want to share revenue or something like that, but like where you were to where you're at now, um, you know, I think there's some magnitude to what you're doing and I hope, hope people listen up. Yeah. Um, we've seen a very substantial increase from pre pandemic to post pandemic. Um, I don't want to drop numbers. Uh, so that's okay with you guys, but we were probably similar to most shops doing around a million a year and have grown uh, quite a bit. Uh, since then, um, we're not a $10 million shop or anything like that, but we, we've seen substantial growth and continued growth um, in that print on demand market. But while we, one, one thing we did see from the growth in the print on demand is it's just a tool. It is a, it is a, a tool in the world of garment decorating, right? Not everything fits that tool. But what that tool gave us was a key to somebody else's door. When you can handle their one, they think you can handle your their thousand. So that's given us bulk orders that we wouldn't probably have gotten had we not been able to set up and produce uh, one shirt in seven days. Have you ever thought about that? There was a lot of wisdom there. That's a clip and a cut, Bruce. <laughs> that, that was awesome. Have you ever thought about outsourcing one-offs? Like using another print-on-demand decorator, you know, I could connect my shop to Stoked On Printing or Redwall and, you know, do it that way. We, so this whole idea started with that of how can we, but it was all direct to garment then. Mm -hmm. How can we, uh, how can we manage this? And it's not, uh, the hard part I believe with direct to film is colors across machines, across technology, Right. Um, so Steven, you send me a piece of artwork and you have it coded for blue, royal blue for your machines in your place. It's not going to look like that coming off of mine. Um, so until there's a big player that takes over that color thing, um, we have a color palette of 50 colors that we know we can replicate every time. And that's probably one of our biggest tools to make sure these are working is we don't have that color issue and we know how to maintain the equipment to achieve it. But if I would send that same file out of house, well, I've just lost everything I've just done. So to switch it to somebody else is quite difficult. Yeah. The color profiling is definitely a big thing on DTF. Um, Everybody can print it. Yeah. Now I've ordered the same blue from different, different, different companies and it comes out just a little bit different uh, and you can't blame them, right? It's a PNG file. Um, so that's really, really interesting. Bruce, what else you got? 
I'm just, I'm curious on the profit margin. So, you know, with all the scale, um, transitioning from screen printing to a DTF house and subbing out the screen printing, do you experience a better profit margin or are you in growth mode and having to hire a lot? And so that kind of soaks it up or, you know, is this more profitable or not? I guess is my, my, uh, my curious question. Yes, we're in growth mode a little bit, but we're growing slowly. Um, we're only growing after we break, if that makes sense. When we max out and we see that we can't, we're falling, we're failing our customer, we we scale up. So, go ahead, Bruce. Oh well, I mean, like, what about? Can you in, in um, can you add the people aspect too into? Because it sounds like the job turnaround time is faster now here. You know, and so that gives you some margin. Um, it's hard. I, I don't know the cost of good side. You know, you'd have to share. But like, how does all that accumulate to what you look at at the end of the day on the margin? Because it sounds like top line growth is incredible. But what's baked under that? Sure. So when when figuring this out, you can take it into two ways. How many touches does it take to get that garment in and out of your building, right? Take a percentage of the people that touch it and add that to that per to that piece. Um, that's your labor aspect of it. Then you have your print aspect, and then you have we have a percentage we use for the front end of building it, and it's just we, we tack in some cents on it. So make sure we're accounting for that, right? Um, have your garment costs and then packaging, so you know what your cost is of every piece that comes in or goes out based off of the model we created. Um, and we try to be at a certain 55 to 60% revenue on it because you're, you're handling one of everything. It's, you're not handling a thousand. You're not giving it for 20% um, because the work, the tech that constantly needs upgraded, the top end spend to pay for that API connection, to pay for that store being built, to pay for the sales rep. Like there's, there's different pieces of that. So you do have to be at a higher profit margin just on paper to counter out, to counter out that everything else on it. And, and I think that's what, it's a completely different mindset shift when you go to giving a retail experience, right? You're, it's going to take way more touches. You can charge a ton more, but if you're not careful, there's a lot of layers of it. And so people like ask us, you know, we pay out 20% just to our influencers or athletes and then percentage for schools, right? And then, you know, the amount of apps and zaps and technology and all that stuff. And so if you're not careful getting into this, you can also race to the bottom very quickly. Um, you really have to be conscious of your pricing. But to your point, once the machine is built and you can feed it, now you can make money on economies of scale, right? Now it's a volume game and it's like, okay, can I get out 300 orders a day, 400 orders a day with the same amount of people, 500 orders a day with only adding two more, right? Like that's when you start to hit those, hit those multiples. Um, do you look at profitability a ton? Do you feel like it's something you're, you're constantly fighting, looking at, or do you feel like that you're comfortable with it? I'd say we're pretty comfortable. We keep an eye on it. Um, we, we know we don't want to be able to below a certain level. Um, it's, it's numbers get thrown off a little bit when you're selling hundred dollar jackets on stores and $20 t-shirts. Like, so there's a, some skewed to it without the, uh, really the in-depth data. Um, 
but we know we know when we charge a print that we have X amount in it. We know what the cost of the print is. We know what the time is in it, and we know we have X there, and we know what formula we use to get our net garment cost on there and putting them together. So we we're safe across the board. We're not in hot water anywhere. Um, so we know even if it's for some reason it's discounted five or ten percent that we're still in a good place. Not as uh, we build the pieces to make sure when the final product comes out, it's there. I usually do the opposite, <laughs> and I'm like, oh shit, uh, <laughs> we gave away the farm, and that's why we have a CFO. <laughs> He's like, uh, do you know the margin on that? Yeah, yeah, just tag a dollar on it. It'll be fine. Uh, I'm just kidding. Bruce, uh, this is super fascinating. I'm, I'm kind of blown away um, by this, and I think this will inspire a lot of shops. Here's my question is, after listening to this, should a shop go out and buy a DTF machine? Yeah, yes and no. Um, no, 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 no. And, you got to give us the answer. You got to, <laughs> you got to, the, the time out. Should a shop buy, given the road that you're on, should they go out and buy one? There were, there I, were probably 30, how many booths at Printing United last week were there of DTF machines? 70 printers. 70 printers, and they're all painted different colors. You got to pick a color out of a Pantone to figure out what color you're going to paint your DTF now to sell it at Printing United. Uh, how, yeah, should shops buy a DTF? Right now, I'd say no. Um, I would say no unless they're 100% in of jumping into the on-demand retail. Um, you can, because what comes with that is all of the build-out costs, all the room costs. There's a ton of costs associated with getting set up for it. And it's still you're still early. You're in Gen 2 printer. There's some Gen 3s coming out. Maybe uh, Mamaki dropped some automatic cleaning. Like, we yeah, it took, some, it took some time off. But, I mean, I'm running Gen 2s like crazy. And that's because we're really in-depth of maintenance and cleaning and things like that. We have all those procedures. And if you're, the, if you're a smaller company, right, three, four, five, six people, and you need to uh, re- change your whole process, it's a lot more difficult. And if you're the main sales guy I, and you have to go back and fix the printer every day, it's going to be super difficult for you to do that. But it's not as hard for having your artist order the prints in and somebody to heat press them. So there's a trade-off there of what level are you at and are you able to dedicate 20 hours a week getting this thing started and up and running and paying all the setup costs and buying all and buying all the testing all the consumables? So um, I don't want to scare people away, but I, that's really what needs to be thought about: is do you have the time, the people, and the space to do it? Davis, we appreciate you being so open and sharing all this uh, operational and process stuff. Um, I'm sure Farrah could add another hour of uh, Q&A because <laughs> this is interesting. I think you guys are actually going through pretty similar situations in different markets. Yeah, I just texted Bruce and I said, need his number. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, you're, you're pioneering a lot of cool stuff. I'm sure we're going to see a, a transition. I think the, the one big takeaway that I took from here in that last note that you said that shops should, should make mention of is only if you want to get into print on demand, right? If you want to get in print on demand, 
yes, you should probably buy a DTF. But if you don't care about getting on print on demand, keep buying transfers, right? We have amazing yeah, sponsors. Exactly. They're great. You can buy them from Supercolor, you know, wherever, wherever you want to buy them from. But, uh, but I think there was some wisdom there that you kind of you flew through. And I think people just pause and be like, okay, I don't need to get into print on demand yet. But you should think about that one piece thing because you, you shed a lot of light there. That's what I had to say, Bruce. And I do like your yellow coat. Did you make that? Or buy I it or? did. Uh, this is. I was speaking at Printing United last week, and we have some custom AI art on it and a full back print. Dang. So the yellow That's jacket, nice. the B thing, I uh, had some conferences and what, had a what, custom made jacket. What were you speaking on? Uh, print on or direct to film, uh, with, when to get in uh, on a panel uh, with uh, Josh Ellsworth from Stalls and um, uh, Diane Ribe and another gentleman. So we were kind of there all direct to garment, direct to film people. And it was it was a pretty heated topic. But it was like, do you get in? Do you not get into this world? Uh, what are some of the issues? That type of stuff. I love it. So that's cool. Davis, thanks again so much for being able to, to join us. This is an awesome pod we've got today. Pronouncers, we appreciate you guys. And we'll see you in the next episode. Thanks so much for listening. Hopefully that was informative. Don't forget to subscribe. Don't forget to like. Don't forget to hit the bell for notifications if you enjoyed this video. If you enjoy all the stuff we're putting out, it's really helpful. We love to just be able to see it. That means that we're doing a good job to subscribe, hit the bell for notifications and hit the like button. And I'll see you in the next episode. Bye.